We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Hi, this is Jerry Boyer. Welcome to Meeting of Minds. I'm talking with North Carolina Treasurer Dale Falwell, who recently has called for Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, to resign. BlackRock is, by some measures, the world's largest asset manager. Treasurer Falwell, thanks for joining us today. Well, it's great to be with you and and thank you uh, for what you do to, to advocate for the invisible, the people who are being uh, impacted and afflicted by the, the siege of Larry Fink and BlackRock and others regarding uh, ESG and so many other issues. Well, tell us about that siege uh, and the people who were invisible. First, talk. tell us about the people who were invisible. Who, who, are, who are, I think Amity Schley's called them the forgotten man and woman. Uh, who who yeah. are they? Uh, I describe them as people who... Uh, have too little money to have political influence, which is sad to say. Uh, They make a little too much money to get help from time to time. So they spend their entire lives working one and probably two jobs, paying their taxes and praying for a better outcome. Uh, A lot of those individuals, uh, at least during my lifetime, are people who make their living with their hands, their back and their feet, uh, like I did for a third of my life. And, and, as I uh, said to a uh, Faith and uh, Christian Coalition uh, speech in Newburn uh, last Saturday night, uh, Monday night, uh, these are individuals who take their showers at the end of the day uh, because that's how dirty they are because of what they do on a daily basis. And as it relates to me being the keeper of the public purse and the sole fiduciary of one of the largest pools of public money in the world, this has to do with a lot of our state and local employees who make their living with their hands, their back, and their feet. So these are the people who are not so poor that the government buys their vote and are not so rich that they can buy the government's vote. They're, they're the people who are essentially not dealing with government for the most part. They're dealing in the marketplace. They're, they're working. Except they're financing it. Good point. <laughs> so it's their money. Yes. Because it's your money. Right. And Larry Fink has more of their money than any person on earth. Um, let's say BlackRock does. I mean, Larry Fink doesn't personally have it in his pocket. Uh, he controls the institution that does. Um, and um, is he treating them with the respect that they deserve? Uh, I don't think so. And that's why I called on him to be fired. And, you know, that press release, which is, going to have its first first birthday in December. Uh, there are three things having to do with ESG issues. And, and going back to your original prayer about fiduciary, loyalty and duty of care. Uh, we, this treasurer's office has had a longstanding relationship with BlackRock. And a lot of treasurer's offices and uh, made decisions across the country to do, you know, to pull their money out of BlackRock. But when you look at the fees that BlackRock charges us, for example, on some of the international index funds, 
and pull it out and do what with it? Uh, our fiduciary responsibility is to get the highest return for the lowest cost with the highest margin of safety. And so what we did is a three-step process. Uh, we negotiate our fees with BlackRock and uh, to the lowest possible rates, number one. Number two is we pulled all of our proxies out of BlackRock uh, back into North Carolina, and we have a customized proxy voting service uh, that reflects the conservatism and the, and the culture of North Carolina. And then the third part, which you've already mentioned, is ask for Larry Fink to be fired. And the reason is, is that we did not hire Larry Fink to politicize our money. We hired Larry Fink and BlackRock to make us money. And in North Carolina, when you don't do your job, that's what happens to you, you get fired. And that's why I asked for him to be fired. Now, he wasn't fired, uh, but his salary went down 25%. He still makes $25 million. You can still buy a lot of good stakes in North Carolina for $25 million a year. But more importantly, when you look at the latest Pensions and Investment Magazine that just came out, Vanguard, uh, because of their no ESG stance, Vanguard has now surpassed BlackRock as the number one money manager in the world. And I would dare say that uh, the, the employees of BlackRock, who many are compensated based on the share price of BlackRock and they've saw the, seen the share price go down, I'm sure they're equally frustrated about the politicization of pension plans like ours by CEO Larry Fink and the ultimate impact it's had on their upward mobility and their stock options. You know, I find myself wondering, what in the world did he think would happen? When Larry Fink went out there and helped get a lot of companies to say, our shareholders are no longer first. We now hold to stakeholderism. So, you know, our shareholders, our investors, yeah, they're in the mix, but so are the unions and so are... So is the planet and penguins, you know, we have a fiduciary responsibility to penguins and we have a fiduciary responsibility to social activist groups. How did he think investors were going to respond? And then when he went out and said, he tried to you know, put anti-oil um, board members on an oil company, it succeeded in a couple of cases, um, and then went out and said at one of these events for the like the Davos crowd, you know, the, the movers and shakers of the universe. Well, we need to go out there and use this money to force certain behaviors. <laughs> Didn't he realize that Americans are going to say, what? what? How, yeah. how dare you use our money to force behaviors on us that we rejected in the voting process? And mm -hmm. then you turn around, you use our money to advocate what we voted against. It's astonishing that he is surprised by the backlash against this? Well, not only surprised, but, uh, you know, you know, it's not the most elegant word, but he sired ESG. Uh, it's funny uh, how God made our hand that anytime you point a finger at someone, there are three more pointing it back at you. Uh, there's no one, no one on the face of the earth who's more responsible for, quote, defining uh, what ESG is supposed to stand for. And now he's saying, he was he was he was taken out of context. Uh, it's 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 I think the reason is simply this. He wanted an opportunity uh, to with these low cost funds to be able to call something something other than an index fund and charge them more fees. I think at the end of the day, uh, and this goes back to what my former neighbor, Maya Angelou, used to always say to us, a famous poet. Uh, when a person shows you who they are the first time, you should believe them. 
you know, you don't build something like BlackRock to become now was number one, but now number two in the country. You don't build that uh, without looking out, looking toward profits. I think the whole ESG movement was about profits, uh, number one. And number two, and I'm... So you mean like the social cause was like an upsell. It was like an excuse to upsell on fees. It wasn't really genuinely a social cause. It was an excuse to charge people more. How could it be genuine when Tesla was taken out of the index and some oil company was put in there? Right. And and by the way, Tesla was in the index for its entire history until... Until uh, Elon Musk started becoming a free speech absolutist at Twitter, I mean Tesla, the company didn't change. They were right. an electric car company before; they're an electric car company now. But Elon's personal politics changed, and all of a sudden, they pulled up the paperwork on Tesla and said, "Hmm, you're not ESG anymore." When there was nothing that had changed in the company at all that was material to the ESG issues. Yeah, you're you're exactly right, and you know, thanks to Marlow Oaks and there's so many at SFOF and the State Treasurers Association. State Financial Officers of Foundation, uh, you know, that have been leading the charge. And now we're joined by many attorneys general across North Carolina, not ours. I mean, across the country, but not North Carolina's, obviously. Uh, so, you know, that's how we got in this situation. And and the second thing I would say, and the reason I'm offended, is that I'm a conservative. The root word of conservative is to conserve. Right. Now, I know that we're doing this by audio, but you can see this. Uh this is what I drink out of every day. I fill it up twice a day. I don't use plastic bottles, you know, 10 plastic bottles a day because I don't like plastic. So, you know, the root word of conservative is to conserve. So for anybody who to say that a conservative is, is not interested in the environment, it's completely ridiculous. And all it tries to attempts to do, you know, is to fit some narrative that allows, in my opinion, for him to charge more. Uh, for for these funds. But, uh, you know, we have led on this topic. Well, look, uh, the the word conservative is very close to the word for conservation, conservationist, right? right? The original conservationists, going back to Teddy Roosevelt, were conservatives. I think the difference between a conservative and an environmentalist is a conservative says that we want to conserve natural resources for the good of humanity, whereas an environmentalist sees humanity as the invading virus, the cancer, and we have to leave nature untouched. Nature is for us, so we treat it well because we love people. Um, So the difference is, is the focus on people or is the focus on, are are people the problem? See, to me as a Christian, we're not the problem. We're the wor- that world is for us, and we take good care of it because we love future generations. Mm-hmm. We're not the invader in the world. We're made to be here and to shape it. Yeah, and I absolutely agree. And uh, the other thing, and I'm not uh, I'm not Larry Fink's uh, you know analyst, you know psychiatrist, but uh, he lost sight of what the word ego really means. It means to edge God out. Uh, obviously on this topic, in my opinion, uh, he let, he, he let the bad ego get in the way and tried to drive this and thought that when, uh, you know, with the lemming mentality that we have, uh, across our, our world right now, uh, that he thought he could, you know, he could leverage that, drive it, charge people higher fees, uh, just because he can. And the reason he got involved in this is because he can, not because he should. Hmm. I think that 
what I've seen from people who become extremely wealthy or ex- extremely successful in business. They get a certain amount of money and then they want what's next. I and, want to interrupt you. I want to interrupt you. Uh, what's that? They get a certain amount of guilt. Yes. And, you know, the Bible teaches us that, that uh, the weight of the guilty conscience is maybe the, the, the biggest weight of all in the Bible. And I think they get a, a certain level of guilt about this. And, you know, some many of these individuals are self-made. Uh, I was just with uh, Lee Cooperman recently and, uh, you know, a self-made individual. Uh, but a lot of these other individuals, you know, they marry into it or they inherit it. And, and they're always looking back and asking themselves, boy, could I have accomplished that on my own? And that, that's when this guilt complex enters. And so they atone for right. the guilt of the money by pandering to leftist causes. Correct. Um, and they and they gain social status. It's not enough to be rich. You get more social status if you're, quote, saving the world. Correct. Um, and so being a billionaire or a millionaire, that's fine. You know, you got a lot of nice houses, but you have that guilt and you have that sense of, have I really fulfilled my full destiny, which is to save the world? The problem is the, the world already has a savior. There's only room for one. That's right. Uh, Larry Fink, good money manager. But I've got, we're covered in the savior department, Larry. We got that covered. Just manage the money. And, you know, with due respect, he's built a great company. But on the other hand, that ego thing at the end, now he's tearing down the great company that he helped build. Well, you're exactly right. And, uh, and I appreciate, uh, you know, your podcast and and your organization and, and organizations like SFOF of, of, of putting sunshine on this and, uh, and we have a saying in North Carolina that you got to start out like you're going to hold out. Hmm. And uh, when our organization, you know, came to the conclusion that this is wrong, uh, you know, we, we have put we have we have not backed up. We have not backed down. And this is not just permeating our pension plan. I wear 20 hats. Uh, I chair the local government commission. Uh, we are seeing uh, the effects of the rating agencies asking some of our, uh, many of our communities about how many electric cars they have. When actually what they're all trying to do is to pay their pension payments, their, uh, keep their water and sewer systems going and, and make their healthcare payments for their public service workers. I'm also seeing this with the hat that I wear as the chair of the State Banking Commission. Uh, the State Banking Commission regulates some, uh, some banks that your uh, listeners have heard of. Uh, BB&T Truist is a state chartered bank. Uh, uh, First Citizens Bank. Uh, we just approved the takeover of Silicon Valley Bank. That's a state chartered bank. So we're starting to see this ESG mentality, this woke mentality, uh, fester itself into the underwriting of our banking community, which I think, especially in this period of high inflation, is the absolute worst thing to be focused on. You know, um, this uh, this ESG thing is a huge chore and a huge burden for the corporations that sign on to it. I've, I've attended hundreds of annual meetings. 
there's all there's a tremendous amount of ESG disclosure material. There are multiple departments every year which have to come together and they have to put out all this ESG stuff. And it's all actionable, right? If they say it and then it's not true, now they're under SEC regulations as misleading shareholders. It's high risk and it's expensive. And now they're trying to put that on local government. People who are trying to run the water and sewer system now have to would have to have ESG departments and they have to be really careful because you're going to get sued if you don't say it right. And you're going to get dinged by S&P if you don't get the right answers. You don't have enough, you know, if you don't have enough electric cars or whatever. It's, it's a burden. And I feel like our infrastructure is already stretched. Like the electricity and water and sewer infrastructure of a lot of municipalities is already kind of stretched. And to put this extra burden on them for no good reason whatsoever, just so that rating agencies can feel like they're politically or socially relevant is really egregious behavior, in my opinion. Well, it is egregious. And these, you know, these water and sewer issues, you know, having, having uh, uh, sewer systems and having fresh water, I mean, these are just some of the basic tenets of living. Uh, I just was dealing with a rate case right before I walked into here with uh, one of our uh, lower income communities. Uh, and they were trying to increase the water and sewer rates by 35%. And uh, I know it's more detail than you want on a podcast like this. But, Go for it. No, no. This is a deep, this but, is but, for yeah. experts. This is yeah, an but, expert but, yeah. conversation. Yeah. But, but, but when okay. people think about infrastructure, yeah. they're always talking about roads. We got more infrastructure under the ground in North Carolina than we do above the ground right. uh, that people need to be thinking about, whether it's broadband, cable, water and sewer. And for example, in our many of our low-income communities, our problems with the sewer is that the holes are in the top of the pipe. So when it rains, rainwater is getting in the sewer system. So these poor communities are having to pay to process rainwater. rainwater. Right. Yeah. yeah. And on the water mains, the holes are at the bottom of the pipe. So the amount of water they buy over here is not what they can charge for over here. So they're, they're, they're paying for leakage. They're paying for leakage. Yes. And so <clears throat> my point of saying all that to you is that is that the root word of conservative is to conserve, to get more out of less, uh, which we definitely need to be doing in so many aspects of government. But the root word of liberal is to liberate, to set economically free, which cannot happen unless you start focusing on some of these things that we're talking about. And, uh, you know, you're not as old as I am, but you've heard the term, you can't see the forest for the trees. Yes. Uh, sometimes you need tree people. <laughs> you know, sometimes you need people who can just kind of like focus on the trees because if the trees aren't there, there's there is no forest. Right. That's, that's good. why, I, <laughs> that's why I go into that detail about uh, struggling water sewer systems and, and ultimately, all these topics, ESG, Bidenomics, wokeism, inflation, uh, faltering water and sewer systems, almost every time it gets financed off the back pocket of the invisible. So especially, I, I, especially the low fixed income. Industry. I, I like this analogy, the tree people, right, and the forest people. And if you think about somebody in New York, who is an asset aggregator, they are very, very far away from the trees. They're in a private jet at 40,000 feet. They don't know about water systems. They don't know about sewer systems. Like here in Allegheny County, we, I was dealing with some of, some of these issues. I used to be 
basically the privatizations are, right? And some of the sewer was still wood, you know, still like wooden sluices from 100 years ago. That detail stuff, I mean, that's how we live, right? People use the toilet, they run the water, they drive on the roads. That infrastructure is the basic stuff of life. But somebody who's an expert at financial engineering, that gives them the ability to have disproportionate influence but without having the knowledge of, of the actual physical infrastructure. So they can go out and ding somebody for being insufficiently environmentally sensitive um, in the management. And they don't know water systems. They don't know sewer systems. They don't know the difference between closed and open sewer systems. They know how to aggregate capital. That's what they know how to do. But it gives them power over other people's lives who actually know how to make sure the toilet, when it flushes, the water goes in the right direction, sure. which is down not up. That's right. that's pretty important, you know, thing right. to to get right. Um, and the financial engineers and the rating agencies, that's not their thing. Uh, and so they've taken on this new task of social. It's a social credit system of socially grading these municipalities. And my point is, if they succeed, the 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 tree people, the people who have to make the the sewer system work are going to have a tremendous distraction, something pulling their time and attention away from the thing that really is essential. And, you know, the, uh, another uh, very offensive thing uh, uh, about that concept that you just introduced is that you know, not only is this typically financed on the backs of uh, uh, lower and fixed income individuals, uh, but it also reduces confidence in government. I mean, when people see and when people who are flying at 40,000 feet and 40,000 feet in private jets, you know, when, when their hand gets slapped, nothing ever happens to them. And so it not only I mean, people are exhausted, our, our citizens are exhausted with all the drama going on. The world's coming at them so quickly in ways they never, very, ever, ever expected. They are not quite sure, uh, you know, what to do with it. And so. You know, when 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 we have our citizens who lose confidence in in governance, the ability to govern that what's right, what's wrong, and when you when you when you do things that are wrong, there are consequences to that. That that's my biggest fear about the 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 aggregator who's flying over their communities at forty thousand feet, uh, just trying to figure out, you know, how to make more money off of them. Hmm. Speaking of what's right and what's wrong, you've been involved with, uh, we've been sued um, because your view is that you're you're not allowed to make payments. I mean, I guess the controller makes the payments and you clear the checks, but you're not allowed to be involved with payments um, for things that are not, um, uh, dire- where you're not directed to do so by the legislature uh, that aren't properly um, authorized. Mm-hmm. And one of the issues that's come up is paying for sexual reassignment treatment for mm-hmm. minors um and you and the i think the controller who just um retired uh ba- said we're not going to pay for that it's not the legislature has not instructed us to i have a well, feeling it's more than just the legislature my guess is you also have a moral except uh exception to this issue um can you tell us a little bit a little bit about what happened why you why you took that stand and where it is right now well it's actually the board of trustees and not the controller uh, I was not expected uh, to be the state treasurer of North Carolina. Uh, me and, and President Ulysses Grant 
I wanted to pause for a moment because I'm the first Republican state treasurer since he was the president of the United States. Wow. That's a long time ago. And from the time I was elected to the, when I was sworn in, the previous treasurer put a policy in that she'd been sitting on for five years to pay for sex transition operations. Anytime, any place, anywhere. And, but she's such a big advocate for this. She put a one year sunset on. And I just let it sunset. Hmm. Uh, there was never a board vote about this. And uh, I don't know when your podcast is going to air, but tomorrow, tomorrow people can listen in. In the Fourth Circuit en banc panel, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals is um, convening an en banc panel because they have split decisions around the district regarding this particular topic. And the case is called Cadle versus Falwell, F-O-L-W-E-L-L. Mm. And people can actually listen in tomorrow uh, to that uh, the uh, hearing about uh, this particular topic. Can you have your staff send us a link? Um, we can put it in the uh, yeah. show notes. I'd be glad to. Now, let's be clear. I'm, I wear many different hats. And uh, that hat I'm wearing as a defendant of this case is that our responsibility when we're sitting here with one of the, as, as good as North Carolina is financially in so many ways, we have one of the largest unfunded healthcare liabilities in the United States. A few years ago, Pew ranked us right behind Illinois in terms of our per capita uh, I just signed off on our OPEB liability at $27 billion, almost equal to a one-year state budget. And I'm saying all that to you because we have to watch the pennies and the paper clips, and we have to do the most good for the most number of people. Hmm. And taking uh, resources and paying for sex transition operations, it does not qualify as a medical necessity. And the plaintiffs say it is a medical necessity. I, I think it's elective surgery. And it does not do the most good for the most number of people. Uh, we don't pay for hearing aids. Uh, we probably have over 100,000 of our participants who may need a hearing aid. Uh, so that's what this court case is about. We'll be glad to send you a link. Fascinating. So you, you it's okay you don't pay for hearing aids, but uh, chemical castration is an absolute legal and moral, apparently human rights necessity. Uh, it's amazing the moral inversion um, that's coming from the left right now. Um, I, I mean, I, I've, I've always admired true liberals, real liberals, you know, like John F. Yeah. Kennedy type liberals. Yeah. Um, but what this is now is has nothing to do with historic liberalism. It is a bizarre, almost a religion. Um, and and pagan religions mutilate their children. Yeah. And I, uh, I want to also tell you, I believe that the first med mal case possibly in the United States was filed in North Carolina the last couple of months over this topic. This is a minor who is now not a minor, is suing the doctor who did all these procedures to her uh, for medical malpractice because she did not she's having seller buyer's remorse. Yeah, and we met a girl at the Alliance Defending Freedom um, conference in constant agony, constant physical agony because she did what she was talked into doing. And I, I suppose there's a fiduciary aspect to this as well, which is if a state 
finances that elective surgery? Is there liability down the line? If you take, if you take a stance there and say, yes, we're going to pay for that, is there the possibility of liability down the line when, when thousands and thousands of young men and women say, I had no idea what this would do to me? Exactly. Uh, yeah. All right. So you have that uh, hearing coming up. Um, I, you wear a lot of hats, so I'm going to give you a chance to, if you want to put on any of those other hats, um, if there's anything we didn't cover today that uh, you think that our listeners ought to know about, then this is the opportunity to bring it up. Yeah. Uh, you know, as the keeper of the public purse, um, uh, it's been it's been an honor. This is my last term as the state treasurer of North Carolina, but uh, we're always uh, advocating for the invisible. We're always watching the, the pennies and the paper clips. And, uh, and uh, we have remained in the check delivery business. People do not call us to book a cruise. Uh, they call us because they've had a life-changing event. Uh, we're managing $248 billion now at the treasurer's office. It's eight times the size of the state budget. And... Uh, when I say people don't call us to book a cruise, uh, their life-changing event could be they get a job with the state or the city. They retire from the state or the city. They get married and have to change their beneficiary. Uh, they retire. They lose their spouse. They have children that they need to put on the state health plan. And fortunately, in most instances, those children uh, age out at 26. And then, of course, we have the sad situations that I have to deal with on a weekly basis of those that lose their life in the line of duty, not just uh, law enforcement officers, but other types of uh, public servants. So us staying in the check delivery business has been very important to me. Uh, the blood that runs through me is Quaker. Our church just celebrated its 250th anniversary. So our church was actually here before our country was officially founded. And uh, one of the spices of the Quaker religion is to be fair and just. Mm. And uh, with everything that's dividing our society these days, which is political party, uh, gender and race, uh, none of that exists in the treasurer's office in North Carolina. Uh, the only color we focus on is the color green, G-R-E-E-N. And, uh, and we do that in a fair and just way. And uh, the citizens of North Carolina... No doubt, thank you for this, as do those of us around the country who see you as an example of the of a fiduciary, uh, responsible party standing up against um, national forces and gigantic asset managers. Nobody counted on the state treasurers and controllers and auditor general getting in the way of their plans, but cool. they know about you now. So, Senator, right. excuse me, um, Treasurer Falwell, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you. You can learn more about the healthcare cartel and some of the reports we put out recently about the liens that are being put on people's homes for not paying their medical bill, uh, the, di the disparate ch uh, charging of prices for the same urinalysis or the same procedure, uh, the amount of money uh, these major uh, cartel-like hospitals made toward COVID. You can these uh, studies are peer-reviewed by Johns Hopkins University, Duke University, Rush University. Uh, Southern Cal, uh, and you can read all more about all this at nctreasurer.com. Send us the link. We'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Treasurer Falwell, thanks so much for being with us. Well, I look forward to doing this in the future. Uh, me too. I'm Jerry Boyer. You've been listening to Meeting of Minds. Meeting of Minds.